Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 280. Uh, Be curious about everything and how it works. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Rafi Manazian. Rafi, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? First gear down and uh, clutch engaged. All right, first gear down. Now, let's see. Are you in an old Porsche 911? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Good okay. for you. <laughs> Rafi Manazian is a widely published automobile designer, illustrator, writer, a historian, and a Pebble Beach Concorde d'Elegance class winner, and a professor at the California College of Arts, the DMBA program. His 20-plus year career includes aircraft interior design for Boeing, toys for Mattel, and consumer products for Honeywell, Polaris, and Rainbird. He's designed cars for Toyota, Subaru, Mole Coach Builders, we've had Steve on the show here, and the Franklin Mint. His work has been featured on numerous automotive television shows, and he's achieved the Award of Excellence from Car Styling Magazine. Rafi has has authored articles for numerous automotive magazines, and his specialty manufacturing business has made thousands of reproduction parts for rare collector cars for over 20 years. Wow, you're a busy guy. So Rafi, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career, your interest, and of course, your passion? For automobiles. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show, uh, especially to talk about cars, because it is, in fact, one of, uh, one of my favorite things. Uh, cars have been my passion for as long as I can remember, not just the, uh, the mechanical aspects of it, the restoration part of it, but the design, uh, the cultural impact, uh, the beauty that cars bring to our everyday lives. But not only that, the interesting thing about cars that is always sort of enchanted me is that it's a universal connective tool between uh, all sorts of people. As a kid, when I would work on my car out in front of the house, uh, neighbors that I didn't even know would come by and they'd strike up conversations with me. And that began sort of my way of understanding that cars were more than just mechanical devices. They were kind of portals into meeting people and getting to know folks and exchanging stories and ideas, as well as, uh, seeking back in history and learning a little bit about world history, uh, uh, innovation, industry, all kinds of things. So that's really kind of the sort of uh, 
larger surprise that cars ended up being for me because as a kid, you start out and you're just attracted to the gleam, the the sound, the all the physical experiences associated with being around cars and seeing them, and uh, and then the family stuff, uh, you know, getting in the car and going places with the family. It was usually um, happy times, and that's that's again uh, one of those things. The the way you, uh, the way I felt sitting in that seat, whether you were in the back seat or you know were allowed to ride up in the front seat with dad. Uh, rolling the window down and getting the air in your face, a hot day, falling asleep, your cheeks <laughs> sticking to the vinyl, all that stuff. <laughs> I love the picture you're painting there, and you're right. And so much of the car culture, especially here in the United States, but around the world as well, is is about the people as well. And I love the way you've interwoven that into your life. You've got your hands on so many different things. It's really fascinating to me. And we'll talk more about all the different things you're involved with as we move along. But I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Rafi, take the wheel. So, I think one of my favorite quotes is, uh, be curious about everything and how it works. Mm. Curiosity is one of those things that I think many years ago, it was actually taught and these days, it's not taught as much because uh, so much of our curiosity can be immediately satisfied through wonderful digital tools. And those tools take us lots of places. But to me, the ability to uh, look at a mechanical object and then really seek how it works, take it apart, dissect it, pull those layers back. Uh, it's not just a quote for mechanical things. It works pretty well for relationships with just about anything. Well, there's so many aspects of that that I find really fascinating. And you're an industrial designer, basically, at heart, right? Is that your core roots of, of the careers you've had? Yes, I was uh, trained. I have a degree in industrial design, and I also have a degree in uh, transportation design. Okay, great. Cool. Well, I'm very excited in, in many aspects because my son is an industrial design major right now at RISD. And so I'm going to have to connect you two because I'm sure he'd love to listen to your journey as well. But the aspects of that quote and how they relate to the automotive industry and what you do, I think, are, are really, really appropriate. Would you tell me a story that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love to hear about that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew that you were a car guy. That's a, that's a good one. The, um, the one that comes immediately to mind goes back to when I was about six years old. And I remember this day very clearly because I was outside. I had gone outside at the front of our house and we lived on a fairly busy street. So occasionally cars would park out in front of our house and visit with friends or something. And on this one particular day, I went outside and there was a just an enormous black gleaming car parked in front of the house. And I was so attracted to the front end, the big chrome bumpers and the grill. And it must have been a car from the 50s because it was very, very decorative. Mm -hmm. And I walked right up to that fender and I could see my reflection uh, in the fender changing as I got closer to it. And <laughs> as I stood there and bounced up and down and, you know, sort of made kind of like a funhouse mirror of myself in the chrome bumper, I was just fascinated that that car was reflecting me. And, and I thought, I got to draw that. And I ran back in the house and I sat down and I just started drawing. And of course, it was an awful drawing. and uh, <laughs> It would take years for me to really be able to capture that. But that kind of enchantment was really my, my, my big sort of 
entry into the the kind of the magic of the design of cars. Sure. Do you remember what kind of car it is by any chance? I'm trying to imagine. There's so many different vehicles from the 50s with the, all that chrome and those big yeah. fenders. I, you know, in my imagination, it's always seemed to be like a, a Chrysler 300 oh, from wow. the, the late 50s, yeah. 58, maybe 59. Just very big, full bumper and and uh, the black fender with the articulation over the wheel arch and everything. Just all kinds of wonderful reflections. and. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll take a Chrysler 300. Those are pretty cool cars. <laughs> There you go. I got to spend a day photographing that car once, and uh, oh my goodness! And then the, then you get inside, and it's even more wild and crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very cool. So, Rafi, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, and as I say, crawl under the hood, get our hands a little dirty here, and ask you to share a huge challenge, or even better, a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. And it's not so much about that challenge and failure, but it's more about how you overcame that situation, and even more importantly, what did you learn from it? Well, I think by by the time I was in high school, I had some pretty good ideas about how I wanted to use drawing. And for me, one of the things that I did a lot of was I, I drew cars all the time, but I also made models of cars. Uh, like a lot of young kids during that period, this was in the mid-70s, I was building plastic model kits and taking parts from one and putting them together and trying to figure out some of the mechanical aspects of automobiles. And it occurred to me that as easy as it was to make a model car, it shouldn't be that hard to make a full-sized car, (laughs) which was, of course, naive. But at that age, uh, you're operating on optimism and enthusiasm, and, and you don't have some of the baggage of life that tends to hold you down. So I just started doing it. Yeah. I started building the car and it would it would take me about five years to complete it. And when I did, it was it was a wonderful experience because the amount of time and effort, it was all consuming. But it was a success as an automobile. And I look at it today. I still have the prototype in my garage. I look at it today as a success. But during that time, it was also a bit of a failure because it taught me that during that period, you have to really be very self-centered, very dedicated and, and driven, and and your relationships uh, suffer in that experience. And so as I've, as I've come to look at that car now, in hindsight, I look back on it, and I, I find it to be not just an automotive reminder, but a great reminder that the most successful creative people are the ones who are able to balance their own personal uh, desires and objectives against their family, their friends, uh, their personal relationships, uh, the time and commitment they spend with others, because it's not just the object that we're here to help create. There are other things. Well, that's a very introspective way to put that thought in our mind about designing cars. I think that is really fascinating. And for those of us who are not industrial designers and automotive designers, we think of car designers as they sit and draw pictures and then this car just magically gets built somehow, you know. And there's yeah. just, it's just a simple process, but there's so much complexity to automobiles, right? Oh, abs- absolutely. And inside the studio, uh, at the studio level, a great deal of your success operating as a designer has to do with how you manage your your uh, your in-house relationships. Mm. The, the designer's relationship with the clay modeler, uh, clay modelers do phenomenal work interpreting the sketches. Well, if if you have a, a tension between the modeler and the designer, uh, it's not helping the, the communication. And the translation of the object under poor communication 
it's not going to work out really well. And we've actually seen examples of that in uh, automotive design, where there's been discontinuity in uh, in the uh, corporate world, and it appears in the form of the automobile. I think that happened during the entire 80s with American automobiles. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. You know, I had Peter Brock on the show, and he told me a very funny story one night. I was at his home in, in uh, Henderson, Nevada, and he said when he was a young man working at GM, they were doing clay modeling, and one of the bigwigs came in with his wife, and his wife looked at it and said, I don't like that those fenders on that car. And the guy walked up and literally grabbed the clay model and ripped the back fenders off and said, fix it, and walked out. Oh. And you think back, of course, times are very different now, but uh, that thought was going through my mind as you're describing the, the very much important aspect of communication. Absolutely. And just, you know, conceptual continuity in any development it's directly relevant to the personal relationships that are going on concurrently. Oh, yes. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments that flashed into your mind during your career, a time when those headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea <laughs> or a new direction, to use a pun. Could you tell us the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into your success? Sure. Well, you said when the headlights came on, in my case, it was when the tachometer shut off. Oh, okay. Because I had a, um, this was 1983, and I had a 1964 Studebaker Avanti. Oh my goodness, yeah. And uh, it was my regular daily driving car, and one day I turned the key to start the car, and off I drove, and I realized within a short period of time, the tachometer wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So that evening, I you know, dove underneath the dashboard, monkeyed around and pulled it out. And uh, there was the uh, uh, the sending unit inside a canister. And uh, I went over to uh, Meyer Studebaker, which was in our area, wandered in. And I said, I think I need a new one of these. And John Meyer looked at it and he goes, yep, we got one of those. Uh, it's a sending unit replacement and it's a hundred bucks. Hmm. And I said, wow, that's, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. I said, what does it look like? And he showed it to me and it was a round uh, PC board with diodes and resistors. And I said, why is this a hundred bucks? And he says, because the guy that I get them from charges me $50. Yep. And I said, wow, <laughs> I didn't have a hundred dollars to buy it. And I thought, well, I kind of know what the sound of the engine's like. So I went home, Yeah, but it haunted me. And, mm. uh, and I thought to myself, there's, there's gotta be a way to make that for less money. So I took out the phone book and started calling electronics companies and I asked him about resistors and parts, and before I knew it, I was back over at John's, and I said, John, if I can make those for you for $25, will you buy some? He said, I'll buy 10 from you right now. Wow. <laughs> so I went back to work, and I put together 10 of them, and a friend of mine was uh, pretty good with the soldering iron, so we worked together. I knew nothing about electronics, but I think it cost me about $175 to make 10 of them. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I, I was good on my word, and I delivered them, and he cut me a check for uh, $250. And three weeks later, he called me up and he said, I'll take 10 more. There you go. And I said, well, how about if we do 50? <laughs> and he said, well, what would the price be? And so I lowered the price a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was uh, 1983. So uh, 30 plus years ago. And that was my first project where I was making parts, reverse engineering old parts uh -huh. and using new materials and uh, tooling and all that stuff 
And I've done probably over a thousand different parts uh, over the past 35, almost 40 years now. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. (laughs) Well, I love that your inquisitive nature, being a designer, industrial designer, and obviously came into play there. And your passion for trying to figure things out and improve things uh, is tremendous. You think about old cars where you would fix parts. And, of course, new, new cars now, they just replace everything. Yeah. You know, they just take the whole unit out and throw it away and you just go, oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah, that's the way things are working these days. How about proudest moments in your career? You've received accolades and prizes and awards, but is there one in particular you would share with us that has a lot of meaning for you? In 2002, I, I decided that I was going to go into business with my, uh, for myself. I, I wanted to uh, be a designer on my own and uh, run my business uh, as my sole source of income. And this really allowed me to do two things, focus on teaching and uh, mentoring young people that were interested in the automobile uh, design and things like that. So that was really, I think, an important and proud moment for me. Uh, And it would lead to me getting the Educator of the Year Award from a a group of educators in California where I'd done a tremendous amount of mentoring and support work for a uh, charter school that deals with dropout kids. Uh, specifically training them in math, history, and English using the automobile. Oh, wow. Very interesting. That's tremendous. And and kudos to you for especially the mentorship and helping others. But I think it's wonderful, the entrepreneurial spirit to go out on your own, the the risk-taking that that requires. But the fact that you uh, are helping uh, young kids that need help and using the automobile, I find that really fascinating. Can you Maybe give us a little idea of how that works. Sure. So young people, particularly boys in uh, in the teen ages, they tend to be more three-dimensional or kinetic or kinesthetic learners. They, they have to move a lot in order to learn. They're very physical, and, and this is oftentimes seen as a bad thing in a traditional educational environment. So when you put kids into, say, the auto shop, well, they got to move around. They're on their feet. Uh, the automobile itself is a movement device. They have respect for the power and the the authority that the car has, and they embody themselves and the power that they have to express themselves through the automobile. So car programs are really wonderful learning tools, especially for young boys, uh, because it gives them an outlet for their their drive, uh, their enthusiasm, their physicality, and their three-dimensional learning processes. So you teach them math using displacement. You teach them history of the United States uh, using uh, automotive history. You teach them world history with a number of different automotive marks and uh, what it means to have an Italian car, a French car, uh, what's going on politically during those time periods. And they begin to understand it, but more importantly, the learning process becomes more embedded uh, because they emotionalize it. Their memory of uh, facts and figures uh, are more deeply embedded because uh, it becomes part of who they are rather than just facts and figures they need to recall later. Wow. Well, gosh, so much is going through my mind right now, the importance of that. And you look at how auto shops, for instance, in schools across the country have been obliterated. And they had auto shop when I was in high school. And I'd go to auto shop. And I tell you, after an hour of getting your hands dirty and moving around and doing all that, you go to your next class, it was English or math or whatever. And you kind of sat there and you were focused. And 
it works. <laughs> Absolutely. And unfortunately, it, it was just a condition of, for a lot of schools, they replaced uh, auto shop, uh, they converted auto shops into computer labs. Mm. And it's understandable, but, um, you know, we lose a lot of value that, uh, that those types of uh, shops and, and you know, for young people, they're, they're laboratories. They're doing just as much science and experimentation and calculation as anyone else. Oh, yeah. Oh, fascinating. Just absolutely spectacular. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Sure. What was your first really special vehicle? And could you share a memory that you have with that car? Oh, there's no doubt about it. At age 11, I was lying on the floor in the living room of my home, and uh, I was looking at the classified ad pages in the LA Times, <laughs> and I saw the ad that said, for sale, little red race car, looks like Ferrari. Hmm. And I ran and showed my dad, and I had told my dad I wanted to buy a car. And Now, you uh, were 11. 11 oh, years old. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, my dad was great about that stuff. He said, as long as you were uh, going to take care of it and work on it, that he would support it. So we hopped in the dad's Volkswagen van, and we drove about 300 miles out to where that car was. Oh, wow. And um, I had 50% of the money. Uh, the car was for sale for $1,500, and I had saved about $800, $700, and I just loved the car. It was little, it was red, it was beautiful little uh, shape, and and uh, we hitched it up to the Volkswagen, bought the car, and drove it home. And uh, on the way home, my father told me that in order to uh, cure the debt that I owed on it, I would have to get straight A's in school. Okay, pressure's on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in the family, uh, the car became known as the straight A special. Oh, cool. I love that. Yeah. Over the years, I would restore the car twice, and uh, it was in my ownership for almost 40 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I got to take it to Pebble Beach, uh, brought my own daughters along. Uh, for that, they, uh, they carried the little uh, cleaning rags and uh -huh. there they were five and, you know, seven years old, yeah. polishing up the spokes and everything. And uh, I took it to Concorso Italiano. I won a Judge's Choice Award uh, at the Palo Alto Concours. Had a wonderful time driving it and doing all sorts of events with it. And when my kids got uh, too big to fit inside the car and drive around with me, uh, I decided it was time for someone else to enjoy it. Wow. Now, the straight A. I love that. Now, what kind of car was it? It was a 1953 Jauer, G-I-A-U-R. Oh, my goodness. Very rare car. Yes. I think uh, maybe uh, six exist in the world today. My goodness. Oh, wonderful. What year was that that you had that at Pebble Beach? Uh, let's see, 2001. One. Okay. I'm going to have to go back and look at my photos from way back then and see if I've got a picture of that car. Very special. Wonderful story. I love that. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle <laughs> that you've had, you've sold, that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Yes. And, you know, I've been very fortunate. I bought a lot of cars over the years. At one point, I had in the collection uh, over 40. My goodness. Yeah. So I've been very lucky because I bought many of these cars before most people even cared or, or wanted them. Mm. But the one that I missed the most was uh, my 1969 Dodge Daytona Roadster. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was the only one built. Dodge built it as a factory show car, uh, and it was called the Supercharger. 
and uh, I bought it out of a car auction in 1984, and uh, I owned it for 17, almost 18 years, and it was so reliable and so wonderful to drive, and everywhere I took that car, it didn't matter what uh, type of show, people just were all over it asking questions, and and it was such a uh, comfortable car to drive, giant, enormous car, but so much fun. Wow, sounds really special. That sounds so cool. Well, you're involved in a lot of things. So is there a project you're doing right now that really has you excited and fired up? Yes. As a matter of fact, I am this year on a teaching sabbatical uh, from the California College of Art. And during that sabbatical, I am going to be developing uh, a series of 10 concept cars. And each one of them is going to uh, exemplify specific ideals in vehicle packaging. So there'll be a sports car, there'll be a Bonneville salt flat car, there'll be a Grand uh, Touring car, just a range of concepts. And uh, this particular experiment uh, is to treat it as a coach building uh, exercise, but entirely digital. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Well, and will that be? Will those ideas be displayed somewhere so down the road our listeners could go find those and see what you've come up with? Absolutely. I'm working with a couple different publications to see uh, which one would like the exclusive for the presentation of them and a couple of different websites. And so, yeah, they will be uh, probably by middle of 2016. Oh, wonderful. Can't wait. That sounds so, like, so much fun. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's really fantastic. Okay, now here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Wow, that's a that's <laughs> a really good question. Um, I think my interests are unusual, so I'd have to go with a pretty unusual car. Mm-hmm. And the one that comes to mind is the Monteverdi 375S. Okay. And the reason why I'd pick that is because I think it's a, it, first, it's a phenomenally a handsome automobile and it's beautifully well constructed and it's got a uh, it's got a sense of purpose about it but it's very uh very elegant most importantly however uh you get under the hood and it's absolutely reliable and uh i tend to think of myself that way because i i can be a little creative and emotional and sometimes unpredictable in terms of my ideas, but I'm absolutely reliable, 100%. (laughs) Well, that car, I'm thinking back here when I've seen one of those, that car has a very Italian uh, kind of-esque look about it, almost like an Italia that Inter Mechanica made, but um, I'm I'm trying to explain to our audience here, how would you describe the design of that? Because it's a two-door Coupe, correct? Absolutely. It's a two-door with a fastback roof line. Yeah. Uh, Frua did the coach work. Okay. And uh, so it is an Italian-bodied car, which a lot of, during the 60s, there were a fair amount of these types of cars that were built that had um, Italian coach work and American drivetrain. Mm, okay. So you have a Gia 450 SS, uh, the Iso uh, Grifo. Iso Grifo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a few Revolta. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But the Monteverdi is particularly interesting because uh, it come, you know, came from a Swiss builder, which is uh, somewhat unusual having the Swiss, Italian, and American. So that that sort of combination of kind of interesting things. And for me, the, the beautiful Italian coachwork, uh, the reliable American engine, and uh, the sophistication of all of that coming together. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's why I love that question, because it brings up some very unique different cars, and yours is definitely one of the most unique, that's for sure. So, so Rafi, up next is the last lap. 
But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. It includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlet so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool. It's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? I'm ready. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Buy what you love, not what's valuable. Yes, perfect advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Uh, Sure. Never leave an idea alone. Let it haunt you, uh, then start drawing it, then build it, share it with friends, get it out there in some form or another. It deserves it. And, uh, you know, these things are in place for a reason. Use them. Get them out there. Ah, delightful. I love that. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners you think they would enjoy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's two that come to mind. One is uh, bringatrailer.com. Ah, Randy Nonnenberg has been a guest on this show. <laughs> Great guy. Yes. Uh, and, uh, of course, Petrolicious. Ah, uh, yes, another guest here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Two, I mean, they're, they're, it's fun, loose, informative, uh, car-based stuff. Yes. Ah, they're two great sites. I love those. How about a book? I know there are many out there, but is there one in particular you think our listeners would enjoy reading? Absolutely. Uh, my favorite for a long time is uh, A Century of Automotive Style. That's uh, Michael Lamb and uh, mm. Dave Hall's book. Yes. Very informative. Yes. Wonderful book. And we'll add that to the guest recommendations list on the Cars yeah website. Listeners, you can go to carsyeah.com and find Rafi's inspiration And all the links to resources he shared with us today, just put Rafi, R-A-F-F-I, in the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? I would assume a guy like you probably does. (laughs) I do. Uh, Probably the one I spend the most time in is uh, I'm a a bluegrass fiddler. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, I did that uh, for many years, worked my way through uh, Art Center College uh, playing music with a bluegrass band. Oh my gosh, that is cool. <laughs> I love that. Very nice. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, I'm sorry, just one, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm going to write the check for whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? Ah. <sighs> <laughs> I'd have to say that it would be the uh, Alfa Romeo Tipo 33 Stradale. Oh, yes. To me, that car just embodies so much about the the pinnacle of sports car design. It has the Italian coachwork. It's uh, the, the technicality of the mid-engine, which was uh, being developed again through the 60s at that time. Uh, the elegance of that car, but the, the purposefulness about it. Uh, this was one of the last uh, really voluptuous round-formed automobiles before we would embark into the more folded paper angular designs that would come in the 70s. 
So I just picked that car as just the pinnacle of it. It's it's very light, it's very delicate, but it's it's very full and purposeful and and very very sensuous. The look of that car. Yes, a sc- rolling sculpture for sure. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, Rafi. You've taken me on a great ride today, and I really enjoy your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Car Show listeners and with me. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that very special dream car of yours? Yeah, I think it would be uh, act on your dreams. Our brains, you know, they're they're wonderful access points for anything, but but they give us dreams for a reason, and nobody really knows why. But you know, for me, cars are a great way to stimulate all of the parts of my physical sense, but they also really encourage me to keep dreaming and and you know. Cars encourage us to move, to, to act, and, and they also encourage us, if you're passionate about fixing them, to restore. And for me, restoration is something that we do inside ourselves as we live through our daily lives, but it's also something we can do with the objects around us, learn a little bit about ourselves, and act on our dreams along the way. Oh, wonderful advice. Very eloquently put. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? Uh, they can go to my website. I have a website, uh, rafim.com, R-A-F-F-I-M.com. They can certainly uh, friend me on Facebook. I have a Facebook page under my name, and uh, it's mostly about cars. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Rafi has shared with us today at carsyad.com. Just put Rafi, R-A-F-F-I, as he said, in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with links. And I would encourage you to visit his website and look at all the different things he's involved in. It's just absolutely fantastic. Rafi, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise today and for sharing your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!